Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, we hope you enjoyed today's program. After clearing away several important problems that were affecting the churches under Paul's ministry and then establishing the proper leadership, the apostle comes to the crucial point and some of the highest speaking in all of Scripture concerning the church, moving the reality of the church far away from the traditional and common thought that identifies the church of God with a physical structure. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. These things I write to you, hoping to come to you shortly. But if I delay, I write that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. And confessedly, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. We come to the critical and crucial point in our fellowship in the life study of First Timothy. Bob Danker is back after a bit of a absence, Bob. I know you were traveling overseas and uh, glad you could make it back for such an important program. Well, I'm very happy to be here today, Chris. Bob, these few verses, the three verses that I just read, we must say these are the peak of, of Timothy, aren't they? Yes, I would agree with you, Chris. These are really the high point of this entire book. Through the first three chapters, Paul has come to a point at the end of the third chapter where he speaks about the church in such a high way, telling us what the church is in its reality, in its spiritual essence and reality. And this revelation is very bright and very shining against a background of what I believe is the beginning of the decline of the church. We talked about that uh, last week, uh, the first week of our life study here in in 1 Timothy. Um, Not too long before this, Paul had been imprisoned. And uh, during that period of time, really the degradation and the departure from Paul himself and also the teaching that he brought, the teaching of the apostles, had begun to manifest itself. So he he has now been released when he's writing this letter, but he is uh, full of feeling, full of some urgency, it seems, Uh, recalibrating the situation, the saints back to God's dispensation, God's economy right in the first chapter, then uh, identifying the the danger and the problem that the different teachings uh, create for the church, and then, you know, dealing with a host of more practical issues related to leadership and the sisters and things like that, while emphasizing prayer. It's it's like he's doing a preparation work. He's he's digging the footing, but this is the real goal, it seems, of uh, his ministry in this letter. That's right, Chris. All right, why don't we join Witness Lee, Bob, that we'll have plenty of chance to fellowship as we go along here. Well, all I have to see, it is up to this point that the different teachings have been terminated and the dispensation of God has been preserved in the church. 
then the leading ones take the lead in prayer life and the sisters remain in their faith, love, holiness with sobriety. And the elders were established and the deacons were appointed. What a church this is. It is up to this point that the Apostle Paul tells us the church is the house of the living God, the pillar and the base of the truth. The church must come up through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the first part, chapter 3, to such a high standard. What a church is this? To some extent, we have seen this. Whenever such a standard has been raised, this is the house of the living God. And this is the pillar, the support, and the base, the holding of the truth. And this is the great mystery of godliness, which is the very manifestation of the very God in the flesh. Not only in the past with Jesus, but also today with the church. This is the goal, the aim by the Apostle Paul. He was not disappointed. He was not entirely discouraged. Even he saw the beginning of the coming of the decline of the church, yet he was encouraged. He not only had the insight, but also the foresight. Someday, somehow, the church will be like this. Even among the degradation, the Lord could do some recovery. A majority might be declining, but a small number still might be chosen, preserved, and established to rage such as that. Bob, I think this is really an important point. No hint, no sign here in the Apostle's writing of being discouraged, being distraught, uh, though he must have personally experienced some of those feelings when he was rejected by many of the churches in Asia, and the decline, the, the evidence of decline was present. But yet his view and his writing bears the characteristic of one who is looking at the goal, not the work in progress. And I think this is a good lesson for all of us. Absolutely. We need to believe that whatever is revealed in the scriptures concerning the church will ultimately be fulfilled. God is a God who can never be defeated. Even though the church may be degraded and declining to some extent, God still has a way to carry out what he has revealed concerning the church in the Bible. So we need to keep our eyes on the bright vision Mm. that is revealed to us in the scriptures, not on the negative situation that surrounds us. And then we need to also look to the Lord that we could cooperate with him. We could be among those few, the remnant, who are chosen by God, preserved by him, empowered by him to rise above the declining situation and to actually attain to the standard of the vision that Paul presents to us here in this short 
portion of First Timothy chapter 3. We've recently come through a number of programs, life studies from the Old Testament, and uh, this principle of God working with the remnant, even the small number that would rise up to take the stand, is, is very prevailing throughout all of Scripture, isn't it, Bob? It really is. Uh, actually, the Bible is, you could say, a story of a group of people called the overcomers, those a small number, though they may be, who stand with God, who are one with God, to carry out what is in God's heart. Paul certainly was one of these. As he was writing to Timothy, he wanted Timothy to be one of these. And now we come to read this portion of the word. No doubt the Lord wants us to be this kind of people also. And in so doing, if the Lord even can gain this faithful few, ultimately it's the whole that gains the benefit. The Lord is able to accomplish and bring forth that which he has always had in his heart and desire. And the whole body, the whole congregation benefits as a result. Absolutely, Chris. Bob, let's go on. I want to come back to verse 15, just a portion of it here. I write that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God. And people may think we're going to talk here about proper conduct, but actually our focus is this word or this phrase, the house of God. It has a very rich meaning, which Witness Lee will uh, develop a little bit. And this meaning, I think, supported well by these verses in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom all the building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. All right, let's listen to Witness Lee once more. Well, I would uh, say something, not as a message. I just read these few verses. I wrote to you, hoping to come to you shortly. But if I delay, that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God. The house of the living God, not only the dwelling place, but the household, the family of God. The family is God's dwelling place, and God's dwelling place is his family. So this Greek word could be translated in both words, house and family. Then it says, the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Not that church building, you see, not that sanctuary, not that chapel, not that cathedral. No, but the church, the assembly, the gathering of the believers. This is the house of the living God. And this is the pillar and the base of the truth. In ancient time, both in Palestine and in Eastern Europe, especially in Greece, always they have pillars and a base. Pillars support and bear the whole building. And the base holds the pillars. The church as the house of the living God is both. 
And here's the pillar that bears the truth. And it's also the base that holds the bearing pillars. And the truth is just the reality of God's New Testament economy. And the content of this New Testament economy is just of two mysteries. The mystery of God as Christ and the mystery of Christ as the church. The church as the body of Christ at the head. Both of these are the very contents of the reality of God's New Testament economy. Bob, it's very striking, just a couple of verses uh, in this segment, but yet it conveys two aspects of the church that are so critical, a very kind of organic view of the church being the family, the household that becomes the dwelling place, and yet at the same time, it's that which upbears the peak, the high truth of uh, the divine revelation. How marvelous. Yes, it is marvelous, Chris. It's marvelous to realize that as the house of God, the church is not a physical edifice such as a chapel or a cathedral built by man. The church as the house of God is really God's household, God's family. God dwells in his family. He dwells in his sons. He dwells in his children. So we who have been born of God and are now God's children, we are his household. We are his family and we are also his house. So this is a great revelation, and it really focuses us on the crucial matter that the very living God dwells in us as the members of his family, and he's seeking every day to make his home in our heart, make his home in our inner being, to build up a dwelling place for himself within us, his chosen, redeemed, and regenerated household. So this is a great thing. And then the church also is a pillar that upholds and a base that bears the pillar. It is a pillar and the base of the truth. And here the truth means the reality of the economy of God. And specifically, it refers to Christ as the mystery of God, who is the head of the church. And it also refers to the church as the mystery of Christ, which is the body of of Christ. These two things, Christ the head and the church the body, are the very reality of God's New Testament economy, which is upheld and supported by the church. I'm glad you uh, brought us there at the end of your speaking to this matter of the church being the mystery of Christ. That is very much reflected in the final verse we want to focus on today, verse 16. And I might mention uh, that maybe many of our listeners are familiar with the fact that this passage, this verse in Scripture, has a very poetic structure to it. And uh, even in our footnote in the recovery version, Witness Lee references the fact that it likely was a song that was sung by the saints at that time. And I've heard songs uh, built around these wonderful phrases. Let me read the verse again. But we want to go beyond the poetic nature or the fact that it may be lyrical to some degree because the truth that's contained here really matches what you were just talking about. Okay, again, this is uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. And confessedly, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, 
seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. These key components, of course, referring to Christ in his work and in his glorification, but there's a hidden treasure here that I think uh, will be touched upon by Witness Lee as we join him for our last segment. The church is not only the house of the living God, the pillar and the base of the truth, but also something more. So, the apostle Paul, the writer, uses the word and, and confessly great is the mystery of godliness. In other words, the church is the house, the church is the pillar, and base, the church is also what? The mystery of godliness. Confessly great is the mystery of godliness. Then, how does sudden Paul uses this relative pronoun who? Who was manifested in the flesh? Who here denote Christ the person as the head including the body. Christ was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, praised among the nations, believed and in the world, taken up in glory. When was Christ taken up in glory? Before the preaching among the nations, right? He was taken up to glory in Acts 1. Then the preaching of him began from Acts 2. But here, Paul put the taking up or being taken up in glory at the end. Not only after the preaching, but even after the believing on in the world. So this indicates the head Christ was taken up before the preaching. But the body Christ will be taken up after the preaching and after the being believed on. So there is a strong indication that this verse refers not only to the head as the manifestation of God in the flesh, but also to the body. Hallelujah. The head has been taken up and the body is being taken up. So both the head and the body are the mystery of Godness. This is the manifestation of God in the flesh. Have you got it? Bob, this requires a a little concentration. It would be uh, very good if our listeners happen to be able to look at the verse here we're talking about. Uh, We're talking about the mystery of godliness, and Paul lists six items included in the mystery of godliness. And as Witness Lee just pointed out, they are all in their chronological historical order except the last one. And why don't you pick this point up and reemphasize what this reveals? It's quite marvelous. It is marvelous, Chris. This verse 16, Paul makes a statement that is uh, beyond any controversy. He says, confessedly great is the mystery of godliness. So he's talking about a, a mystery that is great, the mystery of godliness. Then instead of 
using the word which, which is. Yeah. He uses the word who. he who <laughs> or who was. So it indicates that Paul here is referring to a person. He who was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, then finally, as you pointed out, taken up in glory. Now, this, of course, refers to Christ, who in his incarnation became a man of flesh mm-hmm. and is and was the manifestation of God in the flesh. So God was surely manifested in and through Christ as a man. And this man was justified in the spirit. He was seen by the angels. He was preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world. Surely this refers to Christ. But then this last point, taken up in glory, actually, as you pointed out, chronologically, this should be before his being preached among the nations, right. if it refers only to Christ. But it's being placed here, the last in the sequence, indicates that this Christ, who is God manifested in the flesh, is still the manifestation of God in the flesh in and through the church. It implies that the church, which will be taken up in glory at the end of the age when Christ returns, right is a part of this great mystery of godliness, which is God manifested in the flesh. So although Christ surely is the one who manifests God in the flesh, this Christ today lives in the church, which is his body. So he continues to be the manifestation of God in the flesh in the church as his body. This is a great revelation. This mystery is not confined just to the individual Christ. It is also includes the church as the body of Christ, which means it includes us. God's goal is to have a church that is the manifestation of God himself in the flesh. Interesting. Paul came back to very similar language in Ephesians chapter 5 when he talks about this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The church here is elevated, Bob, to such a degree that it is a participant, or as Witness Lee says in the footnote here in the recovery version, a kind of a continuation of this manifestation of God in the flesh, certainly referring to our dear Lord Jesus, but also just as uh, indisputably referring to his continuation as the church. Absolutely. It's marvelous that Christ himself, when he was living on this earth in the flesh, was the manifestation of God. Whatever he did, whatever he said, manifested God to men. Now, what about the church today? The church should be nothing less than his continuation, continuing the manifestation of God in the flesh by living out this Christ who indwells the church That's right. and is God's manifestation in the flesh. Uh, Bob, I feel this way many times. I will say it again today. How privileged do we feel to be able to participate in a ministry in this particular age when the view, the understanding of the church has fallen so low to see it restored to the place that it holds, obviously in the heart of God, certainly in the Word of God. It's tremendous, isn't it? It is tremendous, and we do pray the Lord will raise up a group of people who will actually attain to such a high standard. Of course, By his mercy and by his grace, we can never do it in ourselves, but we can receive his grace to come up to such a level. 
And as we've mentioned many times in this program, we should never be satisfied just with even the ability to speak about some of these things, even though in an inadequate way. The goal must be that we are living in the daily spiritual and genuine reality of these things. Yes, Chris. Really good to have you back. Hope we can get together again soon in this life study of Timothy Bob. I look forward to it. Okay, we will leave you with our toll-free number. If you contact us, you can find out about how you can receive the printed volume, First and Second Timothy, Titus and Philemon, the life study of those four books. That toll-free number one eight eight eight. 543-3788. I'd remind you of our website as well, www.lifestudy.com, where you can access and listen to our past programs, even today's program. If you only caught the tail end and would like to hear what we were uh, talking about before, it's all there. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Living Stream Ministry is dedicated to the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China during the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Watchman Nee sent Witness Lee to carry out this ministry in Taiwan. Later, the Lord led him to the United States and eventually to the rest of the world before he went to be with the Lord in 1997. Living Stream Ministry now has hundreds of titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee available in English, plus many in more than 50 other languages. To find out more about Living Stream and all that we offer, visit our website, lsm.org. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-888-543-3788 or email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening.